Meet me at The Chasen. I'm your host, Jennifer Field. Margaret Nagawa is an artist and PhD student at Emory University in Atlanta, Georgia. She's also the guest curator for our exhibition, Insistent Presence, Contemporary African Art from the Chazen Collection. Our last conversation was cut short. The exhibition, as we said before, I categorized it into three sections. The body in society, the artist is present, and now the absent body. And the absent body appears, let's say, at the end of the gallery space, but it could also be the beginning of the gallery space, depending on how you enter this space. If you enter from the back door or the side door, then you're um, landing in the absent body. And what this shows us is the various ways that the body is referenced without really showing us the body itself and how that is productive for us to think about how we move through society. Happily, Nagawa is back to finish what we started. For example, Khaled Ben Suleiman, his vessel, ceramic vessel, the blue glaze, it's quite shiny, beautiful, and it's not only one blue, there are three shades of blue that I can see here. And then the brush strokes of black, you can get the sense of having drawn a line, a big brush, um, in one direction and another. The colors, the glaze, and the painterly effects, and then the scratching into the clay um, where he's writing the script and writing the words. So we see that he's drawing us into the work, into this vessel, and drawing on not only our visual sense, but also drawing on what we can think of as speech. Because once you're looking at the writing, then you're imagining reading it. You might even articulate the word hoa, which is, he has written in Arabic. And there, the repetition of that might even sound or feel like you're saying a prayer. Saying the word God again and again and again. To me, he's asking us to approach this work visually and through the voice. And that way, we don't need a physical representation of the body, but he has drawn us in through the senses. So this space, this section of the exhibition where we have the absent body, the physical presence of the body is not necessary, but it's alluded to in order for the artist to communicate what they're trying to communicate. And what I like about the works, Margaret, is that it doesn't draw to mind any particular body. And there's this wonderful way that he sends you, just in the swirls, invites you to go around it. Mm-hmm. There's parts of it that are very fun. Like, like there's fun in here, too, like mm-hmm. sort of gamey play. Like, mm-hmm. I want to push these imaginary <laughs> buttons over here. There's a plexiglass. I can't do it, and I wouldn't because I know better. Looks like you play games on your phone a lot. Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. <laughs> But you have brought to mind one other aspect I had not spoken about, that's movement. So we're using the eyes, 
we are using the voice and we're using the body to move our body. So he's inviting the body of the viewer, which is as varied as anybody who walks through the doors. And you, you brought that up quite beautifully. Thank you. Well, thank you, Margaret. <laughs> it's because I'm talking to you. You just make me smarter. Okay. It's so. also wonderful when we think about scale. So we might imagine the body or our body um, engaging with this ceramic work by Khaled Ben Slimani, but we can also think of a larger-than-life body when we look at this prayer bead installation that Muataz Nazir from Egypt made. So we have gas canisters strung together, quite tall, almost reaching maybe three-quarters of the way up in the exhibition, and then dropping down again to the very edge. So we have prayer beads, but constructed out of uh, gas canisters and lit from the inside. The gas canister is perforated with patterns. They look like less. And with the light coming from inside, it throws shadows against the wall. So there is that sense that we have a physical object here and we have light that's throwing shadows and almost thinking like there's more than myself in the presence of this work. And the other being is either unknown, unknowable, but also larger than life. So this um, installation by Mortas Nazir can talk about what we might infer as the physical relationships between people praying, using prayer beads, but also between those people and the, the God they're praying to or another being that they're praying to, but also something larger than us, which might be what we engage with on a regular basis because the work is called Petrobids, could be petrol. The wars we fight around oil, but it could also be that because of the scale we're dealing with, these wars around petrol are larger than any single person can fathom. And the size of that also to me calls to mind that something larger than life also needs guidance and support from whatever they may believe in. Yeah. And what's really interesting about this piece is that it's part of the permanent collection. Mm -hmm. And it usually lives upstairs mm -hmm. in the gallery space between the old Elvium and the new Chazen. Oh. And for so many people, including myself, it was uh -huh. our guiding light. It was oh. a wayfinding object. So if oh, you saw this rest. object hanging up, uh -huh. you knew which direction you needed you to go to get to the other part of the museum. I like that aspect. And it's bridging the old and the new in the physical space, the architectural space here. Exactly. That's a good way to look at it. It's so many good ways. So many positives. <laughs> so then well, we're calling together beings that are larger than life. And we've <laughs> talked to Emmy Malley. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to ask you to read the text because I know you won't do it because it's your friend and that's none of your business. <laughs> even though it's everybody's business because it's hanging up here in this gallery. <laughs> but Emmy Malley's piece also refers to an absent body, and it's larger than life now. It is larger than life, and she creates a tension between presence and absence. This work could, I could have installed it in the first section, The Body in Society, because she's representing a figure with these text messages printed on glass tiles. So from different angles, you can see the body where we're standing now, you can see a cascading set of 
glass. Um, so sometimes it's visible, sometimes it, sometimes it's invisible. Um, and she plays with the presence, the tension between presence and absence, which I love. But it's a presence and absence that is larger than life. We have to crane our necks to look upward to see the tippy top of the sculpture and also bend low to look at the very bottom piece. We might have to squat in order to be able to look at it or even try to read it. So it demands of our body a lot more than we might be demanded from by uh, a work of art, a painting that is sitting at eye level and uh, all those um, uh, museum conventions. So the larger than life, the scale demands a lot, demands different things from us as viewers. And it also, it's a really, because a lot of the work, I shouldn't say a lot of the works, but a number of the works are playing with memory. When we look at Linda Pongo's work, when we look at Leboha Kangania's work, when we look at Nana, mm -hmm. Nana's work, it's a lot of it is playing with memory. And in this work, I remember talking to her about how it's based on a, a long distance relationship because her partner had to move away. Her then boyfriend had to move away for work that she would sometimes forget what he looks like. Mm -hmm. And so it's really interesting in that piece that you get that sometimes you see a human figure, sometimes you don't. Mm -hmm. If you go away from it, sometimes like how like you start to think, wait, mm -hmm. is it taller? It's taller than I am, right? I know it's taller than I am because it hangs. And then there's the presence sometimes in the absence of sound, yes. like the presence and the absence of a voice. Mm -hmm. So it's all these these ways mm -hmm. of of um, being in the presence of somebody who's just not there. Mm -hmm. And it's really interesting that how many of these pieces have movement or suggest movement mm -hmm. because the vessel mm -hmm. invites you to move, yeah. the beads yes. invite, this one actually moves, mm -hmm. and then we go to Exodus. Exodus, we have a bicycle, like a real manufactured bicycle um, that Batlemitogu has used and installed a cart, a wooden cart on it with two car tires and mounted, tied down, large parcels wrapped in wax print textiles. And we have other household goods there, the rope, uh, plastic kettles, a broom, sort of everyday objects that one might use in their life. So this work we actually moved it from the galleries upstairs to down here. She would not ride the bike. <laughs> we tried to get her to ride the bike and she wouldn't do it. Okay, I tried to get her to ride the bike and she wouldn't do it. Because that just makes sense. That's not how we treat museum objects. I know, but it's it would It's no been. longer a bicycle for traveling on, Jennifer. It's just suggesting the, the, suggesting suggesting the, the mode motion. of travel. Yes, All right. yes, yeah. So, it's a very direct and um, reference to movement, but it's also a cry around why we move. It invites us to think about that. Why does one move with all that luggage on the back of a cart? So those kinds of questions invites us to walk around the work maybe not touch the bicycle, don't be tempted to ride don't it. Don't throw the bundles, don't <laughs> touch it. And that's the thing with this exhibit, it's so inviting and so warm, you want to. You want to touch. And there's this delightful mm -hmm. part of it, but then there's yeah. the underlying, there are these messages mm -hmm. that bring into, like question, like, I couldn't, could you, I could not imagine, A, 
putting all of my stuff on a single thing and then having to move it. I mean, it's just like this, not only does it bring in movement, but how we move and, and what we have mm -hmm. access to to move, mm -hmm. and then what's important. Mm -hmm. Like, what from our lives, if, if we, we were... Would carry. Would we carry? Yeah. Like, is this, what do you think this is, like four by six foot, maybe? This, this the, mm -hmm. the, what would you call that, the trailer? Yeah. It's maybe, like, how much of your life could you fit in a four by six foot trailer? But also, what are the conditions that are forcing you to move, that are compelling you to move? So this moves from the particular to the general, to a broader question of movement today. There's the undesirable movement, and there's the laws that govern who moves to where, and also the push from the places people are moving from, as well as the perceived pull from the places that people are trying to go. So there's a lot of intricate political challenges and barriers to movement. So even if this bicycle and the cart are laden with goods, that personal belongings, we're not sure that this person is going to the destination that they really want to go to, if they will arrive right. at the destination. That they even wanted so, to leave in the first place. Like there's just so many questions about so it. There's so many questions. Because you, could, you yeah. could approach it from absolute joy. The bundles are gorgeous. They are beautiful. The sacks, the, the, what we call, I think you call them China bags. Yes, but in West Africa, somebody was telling me they are called Ghana Must Go. So that's a whole different history. So Ghana even, Must Go? <laughs> yes, don't ask me the details. I don't know. And we call them <laughs> shopping bags. But yes. they're, they're full, they're full, 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 almost bursting yeah. with things. But they give us, even just looking at that one material, that one bag, we can access different kinds of histories. On the eastern and southern side of the African continent, the bag has a different name and therefore it conjures different relationships. It's like, okay, this is a relationship, a, transnational, a transcontinental relationship between the African continent and China. And then in West Africa, it's an intra-relationship, intra-Africa relationship. It's like, okay, what's going on? What's Ghana doing? And then you come to America and it's a shopping bag. How much shopping can you do? This is huge. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but you are speaking about memory as well. When we look at Gonzalo Mabunda's work from Mozambique, war in Mozambique is something he experienced. And so when these decommissioned weapons are now put to a different use, it becomes, uh, <laughs> it becomes a new work. In a way, it repels us because they are bullets and other parts of a gun of an AK-47. Who wants to be that close to this thing? But because it's a chair, it's a throne, it can also be inviting. It can make us feel like, oh, I want to take a break. I've been walking around this exhibition. Let me stop. But because of the way it's installed off the level, off the ground, off the floor, and onto a, a pedestal, you stop because you realize this is a work of art. It's not a throne that I can actually just go sit upon, sit on and have a conversation with Jennifer. <laughs> <laughs> well, we could. We just both never have jobs again. But then, Margaret, talk to me about the face because there's something about the face that I see in the chair that's the wrapped, it's not brass, copper wire. Uh -huh. Talk to me because it's both inviting and it's also a warning. 
It looks, for me, that's what it feels like. Okay, tell us more. Well, like the face <laughs> is like bringing you in, like, <gasps> yes, like surprise. Uh-huh. Like, do you, is it surprise? Like, do you want to come closer? Or is it uh-huh. surprise? Like, watch out. Because <laughs> maybe that's where we need to sit in the in-between space, trying to straddle both worlds uh, of inviting and repelling uh, circumstances because the tools, the very materials that he's using are weapons. This is annihilating somebody. They have been used in war. Therefore, there is an end to that. Well, you could call it a beginning of the afterlife, but it's an end, a weapon that has been used to end the life here. So do we want to be invited to that? And then when you talk about warning, maybe saying stay away, it could also work. It's like this is not a throne. This is where the ghosts of all the bad people are sitting. Right, this the is what you don't who lead. want. You don't want this. Don't the want people this. who lead the wars, the people who deal in the ammunition, um, the politicians who make the decisions that one goes to war or does not, do we want to sit with that for a while? Um, so yes, you're right. It has both aspects um, of inviting a closer inspection, but also a warning, like stay away. It just does this thing to your head because Mm -hmm. the end result is beautiful, made up of all these horrible things. It's gorgeous. Mm -hmm. The contradiction. It's just, it really messes with your head. When it was Mm -hmm. sitting, for a while it was right in in the gallery that's right to the side of this. Mm -hmm. And you would, I would watch people walk by it, they'd walk by and then they'd stop like, wait, and then they'd go and they'd look. And then they look closer. Yeah. And you could almost watch them backing up once they realized ah. what it was. Like, oh, wait a minute. I don't want to be here. Yeah, like, I don't know how I feel about this. Yeah. It's, a, it's a strange place to be. It's a difficult place to sit. Because we, there may not be the kind of war on American soil like the one that took place in Mozambique. But there is a continuous and painful, slow war against bodies, especially black bodies. And that is extremely painful when there is a gun and there is an institution of authority and who ends up in the institutions that lock young black people away, young people of color away, the weapon that is used in those institutions is also what we're looking at here. So there may not be the kind of war that has happened in Mozambique, but the war here is equally harmful. And it's slow and continuous for society in general, not only the African-American body, but also the whole society. The sense of guilt, the sense of loss, the sense of destruction goes beyond skin color. It's what's the potential that we might have achieved if we did not have that many people locked away. What's the potential that we are losing when what we choose 
the ways we choose to enforce discipline, to enforce social organization, are violent. It's a hard place to sit. You can't be comfortable. No, and you no. shouldn't be comfortable. No, no. So, so now we move to works on canvas, and we're in this section that, again, implies movement. There's a bounciness to it. There's a, there's a movement. Mm -hmm. Talk to me about what we're looking at now. These are paintings by uh, Togolese artist El Loco. He's the only deceased artist in this collection. He was born in 1950, and he spent most of his professional life in Germany. Um, but with this work, he was inventing a language. This was a work that was trying to create a unity across different kinds of people. He was envisioning a future where we could all speak a language that we would all understand in order to create a peaceful society. So he's thinking about futurity. He's thinking about ways we can make a future that is different from where we are. And through creating a whole new script, this is the vision that he was putting forth um, in these two paintings that we have. Yeah, and you can see from, it's called, the title, the series is called Cosmic Alphabet. So, yeah, have a new alphabet that allows us to unite. The way it's presented is that you feel like you might be able to read it because some of the symbols look familiar. You try. Yeah, you can, it, it's really like you try to put some, like, like ladyfish, something like, it's like having on the tip of your tongue, you know, when you can't think of something, it yeah. feels very much on the tip of the tongue. You're on the cusp of getting something. This looks like a T, for example. Right. Yeah, and a K somewhere. It looks like a K. And we're also working with what we know. We're starting with where we are. It reminds me of, and I'm probably going to say this wrong, but the, the Tramp series, the Hobo series, where hobo, traveling workers, migrant, or uh, itinerant workers, I think they call them traveling workers, hobos, we call them. Okay. And then we call them hobo, and there's also a hobo festival, so I don't feel like I'm using a pejorative term. <laughs> but they had, would have symbols. So if, say, a hobo went to your house, and uh -huh. you fed them, and you were really nice to them, uh -huh. it might be a symbol of a circle with a stick and a triangle bottom. bottom. Oh. Nice lady lives here. Oh. But if you had a gun and you were mean, your hands might be splayed out. Like, you know, nice lady has a gun. Where would they leave these symbols? On the posts, like on the uh, fence posts and wherever, like on the fence post. Or okay. if they were going to um, a rail yard, mm -hmm. they might leave a symbol like, watch out. They call they called the, like, the security guards bulls, railroad guard oh, bulls. Okay. Like, watch out, this bull is mean, or you can, get, uh, you can sleep here. But they had like this little chart of symbols. And some of these uh -huh. just remind me of that, oh. that idea of trying to c communicate in symbol uh -huh. to people that you may never ever see yeah. and probably haven't met, but somehow you've, gotta, you've got to let them know whether or not this is a safe place mm -hmm. to be. Mm -hmm. I think my, fav the relationship. my favorite one is nice lady has cats. Oh. Or has, yeah, because it's like the little triangle <laughs> shape and it's like a little rough animal drawing. Oh, that's cute. Yeah, so it's just like, you know, like little ways of communicating. Because in this one too, there just feels mm. like 
it's, it's on the tip of my tongue. Like mm-hmm. this is, looks like a person dancing. Oh, yeah. Or yeah, moving. Yeah. And maybe that's an H uh-huh. and a V. Uh-huh. And he also plays with depth. Because he uses the grays, the whites, and the reds, you get a sense that, oh, these are three-dimensional objects, actually. So when you sort of visualize a human dancing, um, it makes sense, because he has created a certain sense of roundness in the work. I don't know what this symbol means, but that looks like a lot of fun. (laughs) Let's try to decipher. (laughs) Arms up, dancing. Dancing? (laughs) Like, come on, let's go, we gotta get out of here. It's a party starting down the street. Let's go. Let's go. Let's do it. Just joyful excitement. It's like maybe somebody just jumping up in the air with just like joy and excitement. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Possibly. So we have these small, 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 very delicate pieces here. Yes. I love these works. They have a complexity that I enjoy because they invite us to return to them. And when we return, we stay. And this is Jackie Karuti. And we have four of her works. And um, they're titled, they're from a collection, from a series that she titled A Set of Etchings Produced While Thinking About Fossils. These works, when we look at the title, and start from there, they draw us into history. It's like they take us way, way, way back. So when we're thinking about fossils, we're thinking this is a longer-term prospect that we have in front of us, even if what she's showing us is a stool that's tilted, a television set that's bobbing on a body of water, Wings, maybe butterfly wings or insect wings? What do you think? But I'm seeing the stool again, too. The stool is in there? Yeah, but it looks like three. monarch wings. Like they monarch, might be. Yeah, mo- they look like, like really... But butterfly this, wings. Yeah, like is it... Like is it... There's an interplay here. Mm-hmm. I can't tell if the wings are landing or if they're flying away. And that's the beauty. Right? Must we have an answer? No. Thank you. You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) I think that how she leaves us in that space where we have questions and not quite answers is a fantastic place to be. Because then we can move in different directions with our thoughts, with our speculation of what she's talking about, because she gives us very little information. It's like etching. That's a title. It just Etching. like the language. Yeah. It's that, it's, it's how a memory kind of forms in your head. How mm-hmm. you remember things like mm-hmm. see a flash of this or you see a flash of that or maybe mm-hmm. you hear a note. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe you hear something that starts to recreate. I think mm-hmm. an image, it starts to recreate that mm-hmm. image in your head mm-hmm. to get you where you, it's like, it's, again, it's that tip of the tongue thing. It's mm-hmm. that questioning, wondering. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, you know what it is for me? Uh-huh. It's that moment when you're trying to figure out something with your friend and uh-huh. they start to pull their phone out and you go, no, 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 no. don't look it up. Don't look it up. Let's see if we can remember. That's what it feels like to me. Like, no, don't tell me. Don't tell me. Like a childhood memory that you and your brother remember differently. Right. Yes, we used to have that kind of a TV. No, we did not. Oh, it used to be on a, on a stand just like that. No, we did not. It was on a low table. So it's like, is this where we are? 
Is right. this where we're not? Is this the future? To me, she's taking us through a longer history, but also projecting into the future that we cannot really place. It's, I would say, placeless because she moves. She gives us movement in each piece. Nothing is stable. When we have that, those um, um, vertical lines, she still gives us diagonals that challenge the verticality of this. And when we have the TV and it's bobbing on a body of water, that expands our imagination beyond the tiny 10 centimeter frame that she has given us. So in these little tiny prints, we are able to travel beyond what is actually physically present in front of us. Our imagination is let free is compelled to go beyond the little space that she's giving us. And compelled to not finish the story, but to continue the journey. Exactly. Like you don't leave, when you walk away from it, it doesn't leave you, because you sort of start to see these patterns mm -hmm. as you move throughout. Mm -hmm. The stool plays, mm -hmm. you know, fall, sort of falling, uh -huh. invisible, uh -huh. completely over, yeah. still tumbling. Uh -huh. All of it, this is, again, this movement of the things movement. just like go, and mm -hmm. inviting you to come along with. Uh -huh. And also you want to see the whole series. I begin to wonder what are the other images in this series so it arouses my curiosity. I want to know more. And why is this one printed in the circular and this one printed in the square form? And why do we have one butterfly wing here and three over there? So those- and no, uh, Yeah, no stool in this one. No stool in this one, but we have water. And the stool is cut. It's a half a stool over here. So the possibility she gives us to allow us to be part of the work, to think with her, and to also go beyond what she's showing us uh, visually in this little space. I think these works are very quiet. They are. They're quiet. There's also something about it, Margaret, where I want to see the rest of them, uh -huh. but I don't want this story to end. <laughs> no. I don't want, like, it's, so maybe it's, we should not see the rest yeah, of them. Yeah, or maybe just look at one every don't once in a while. Your, don't pull up your phone. No phone. <laughs> Like, maybe just see it every once in a while to just, like, give you that little bit of taste of it because mm -hmm. it's such a, it's so delicate, but it's so powerful. Exactly. Because it also is a reminder, like you said, we don't all remember things the same way. Not at all. And it also builds on the collection because the Chesen Museum's permanent collection already has a lot of print work, linocut and woodcut print, mostly from South African artists. And this one, we're going to a different region on the African continent. And that way, in the future, if somebody's looking at print work in the collection here, and they want to work with that, they have a range of different kinds of printmaking, but also different themes that uh, artists are working with. Most of the ones in the collection already are figurative. And here, there's not a single human body represented. But because we have the stool and the television, we imagine a figure, we imagine a human being that has been in these spaces or is coming to that space. 
going to occupy a room where the television set is, even if we don't see the chair they might sit in. So there is a place where we, we create the image in our minds where she has not um, included it in the print. I also enjoy, a lot of times when I look at works like this, I'm, whose perspective, through whose lens am, am I looking at? Mm -hmm. And there's an, even though I see the artist's work, mm -hmm. I don't, I immediately become the lens. You know Good. what I mean? Like yeah. I immediately, like I'm not- Take ownership of Yeah, this. I take ownership yeah. and I'm not like, well, what is, what are they trying to say to me? It's like, no, I can, this is, this is my little fairy tale that I'm kind of sort of remembering, but maybe not really. I love that. So it's just that this idea that the, the body really is absent in this work until you appear in front of it. Yes. And you are the body that is engaging with this work. And I love it that you come to the work before you read the label. Yes. That's the way it ought to be. Yes, yes. <laughs> because the label is one perspective. That's one way of looking at the work, but there are many ways to enter this work. Yeah. So it's information, it's more information than you can ever put on a, on a, on a label. Exactly. It's, so, it's just so much more than you could, could ever be said. It's richer than what we can write on the label. Very much so. Mm -hmm. So then as we stand back, mm -hmm. oh, we didn't cover these the paintings over here, mm -hmm. the works over here. So one of the last things that we see as we transition to a, another gallery or you know, just in front of the, the opening for another gallery, we see these two works of acrylic on paper that really, that are absent, present, present, absent, it's both. <laughs> it's both in many ways. And this is Arjab Banad Ategwa. He's um, in Cameroon, that's where he works. And he uses these bright, beautiful, rich colors. The two works we have are depictions of women. We know they're women from the hair, the braids that are sort of flowing down the side of one of them, of the works, like evening picture. But we don't see their facial features. And their faces and their bodies are the highly textured sections in the paintings. The rest of it is flat paint. We see lines, we see blue lines as outlines, and then the rich purple, the yellow ochre, the pink in the back. But he denies us that. We cannot say, oh, this painting of a woman looks like Mary. No, <laughs> it does not. He leaves us that intellectual space to imagine the face of this person. What might they look like? Who might they be? And that, I think, is quite powerful. There's an invitation to the viewer to create with him, to have that role to play in imagining what the face of this person might look like. And maybe we can understand we can understand that sort of depth to a person, mm -hmm. but it's still very private because we don't know who these people are. It's very private. And I like that, you mm -hmm. know, that I can imagine all this, but it's, very, it's still very private. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I think the American Ethiopian artist, um, Julie Meretu, in one of, one of her interviews, she said, one should have a right to opacity. And so, I think Ajab Ategwa is pl 
working with that kind of idea. It's like we don't have to know everything. There has to be something that remains opaque to other people, that remains hidden from everybody else, that private space. Yeah, you can imagine what my life looks like, but I'm not giving it to you. <laughs> in, light, in that sort of a way, Margaret, for us to think about this entire exhibition, because we've done, this is our third interview, mm-hmm. we've spent, and I've enjoyed we've every moment of it. We have yeah. talked a lot. Do you still have that, do you still feel like you were able to keep some things to yourself? Or do you feel like, or do you feel like you've said, maybe that's not the way to answer this question. Let me ask you this question this way. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like you've said everything you wanted to say with this exhibition? This exhibition says what it needs to say about presence and absence on my part. And what I love is when viewers come into the show and they add to the story, they challenge what I say, such that we have a conversation. That's where the show will say more. What it says here is just what I'm thinking. It's with the audience that we are going to get richer conversations going about this work. So is there anything, I'm going to ask you the final question. Is there anything else you want to tell me that I haven't asked you? Brilliant! (laughs) (laughs) I think I'll ask you. Is there anything that I should have asked you that you haven't told me? (laughs) I don't know. I have to think about that. (laughs) You've been listening to Meet Me at the Chazen. Our guest, Margaret Nagawa, is an artist. PhD student at Emory University and the guest curator for our exhibition, Insistent Presence, Contemporary African Art from the Chazen Collection at UW-Madison's Chazen Museum of Art. Meet Me at the Chazen is a production of the Chazen Museum of Art on the campus of UW-Madison in Madison, Wisconsin. For more information about the museum, its collections and exhibitions, visit chazen.wisc.edu. I'm your host, Jonifer Fields. Thank you for listening. Yeah.